is Malachi. And uh, you know the funny thing about having a son that has a cool name, <laughs> it makes it hard for choosing a name for your second one. Because, you know, you just can't pick any random, random name like, say, Barry. <laughs> I'm sorry if there is any Barry in the room. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad that you actually laughed because I've been working on that joke <laughs> the whole night. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, actually really love that photo because for me, it speaks a lot. It speaks, for me, it's my definition of success at the moment. I, uh, I see the work of God in my life, and so I really love that photo. So tonight, I'm going to be talking about having faith in the captain of the storm. And we are going to be looking at a passage in the Bible that has a famous story in Matthew 14 when we see Jesus walking on the water with his disciple Peter and he comes the storm too and what we see in this passage is that Jesus is not just the captain of the boat that the disciples were moving in Jesus was also the captain of the entire storm he was the one ruling over the winds and over the waves at that moment. And uh, like I said, the title of this sermon is uh, Having Faith in the Captain of the Storm. And when I think about storms, for me, the year 1998 jumps out because a lot happened. And uh, <laughs> I, I, took, I took some time and searched the internet about some of the memorable things that happened in 1998. And we can see Windows 1998 was finally released by uh, the Microsoft people. And if you're, if you're 16, probably you don't remember that. But that was a thing then. Uh, the Spice Girls were a big hit. And I bet you have a song that is running in your head at, the, at, at this time. You have that song. If you want to be my lover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we also see the Google search engine was founded, and now we have internet. We can ask Google anytime. We also see the Apple computer operation. They released the iMac. We see Friends. TV show was also a big hit by that time. We also see the Titanic movie premiered for the first time in 1998. And this seems to be a very long time ago. But to be precise, that's just 19 years ago. And for me, 1998, I also, we, we got some really bad news at home. My young brother, Isaac, his name was, he was, uh, his entire system started shutting down. His body couldn't function and he was sweating, and no one knew what was going on. And uh, we took him to the hospital, my parents did, and he was finally diagnosed. The doctors found out that one of his kidneys was not functioning. In other words, it was dead. But they promised us that 
this was going to be okay because he would definitely live with one, with one uh, kidney not working. And uh, they put him on medication and as they were about to release him to come back home, the system actually got worse and news still came back. Both of his kidneys at that time failed to work. And the only way out, he needed at least one kidney to be removed and replaced with another. This was a very expensive process and none that my parents or any of my families would afford. Because as we all know, in Uganda, we don't have the privilege of um, free medication. You actually have to pay for the entire operation and the recovery. And so the doctors managed his uh, situation for about a year. And finally, Isaac went to be with the Lord. And you see, there is nothing painful as losing someone you really love and care about. Isaac was my brother, and I cared about him, and that was a very big storm in my life and in the life of my other siblings. But one thing I knew about Isaac, he really loved God. Isaac always had hope. He was only 10 years, but he knew the identity of God. Often in the hospital, Isaac would be found praying for other patients. You would find him reading the Bible to other parents who had kids that were going through a hard time. Isaac was a special kid who knew his captain in that storm. And he knew that even if God took away his life, he still had hope that he's going to live forever. And so, as I think about our text tonight, Matthew 14, I think about my brother, I think about myself, and I think about us. Because there are so many of us in this room tonight that are going through a hard time. We all go through a hard time. In fact, there is someone here right now that is right in the middle of a storm. Or someone that is heading towards one. Or someone that has just finished to go through a storm. And that's the, the hard part about life. That's one thing that we can't control. That's one thing we can't manage. Storms are there. But see, this text poses a question to us. Where is our faith? And who are we looking at when we are in the middle of the storm? And is our captain at peace or is he in panic? That's something that we have to deal with. Because often when we are in these storms, we forget about the captain. We forget about God. When the devil puts in the doubt in our head, we kind of start to move away. And we start to look for our own ways. Because naturally, we want to manage our situations. We want to manage circumstances. And so in Matthew 14, if you have a Bible, or if you have your app, uh, you can, go, you can go to Matthew 14. So it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get, get in a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he has dismissed them, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat 
was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. We'll pause right there. You see, when you go back to the beginning of Matthew 14, a few things had happened before Jesus puts the disciples to get on the boat. Number one, John the Baptist had been beheaded. He was killed. And you still have these disciples following Jesus, but they know what has happened to the guy that has been proclaiming the good news. So he's, he was killed. And then you also see Jesus had also just performed a miracle. He had fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. And so the people in the city at that time wanted to crown him the king. But they didn't know who Jesus was. They were just doing that because he had excited them with food. He had fed them. They were full. Their stomachs were full. So they were taken by the emotions. And Jesus wanted to take his disciples away right in the storm to show them who he was. And I believe that's the key to this text. At the end of this text, Jesus wanted to show his disciples his full identity. He wanted, he wanted them to know, and he wanted them to fill in the gap with the question, who do you say I am? And so we read uh, verse 24. I will backtrack to verse 24. And the boat was at a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. The other thing we see in this beginning part of this text is the disciples were not scared of the storm. They were not. They were in the boat and they, they, the scripture doesn't mention anything with fear. They knew how to manage that situation. They knew how to manage the storms. Because often we think these guys were scared. They were, these guys had no fear because they, most of them had grown up on the lake fishing. They were fishermen. Simon Peter was a fisherman. So they knew how to manage this situation. But fear comes in when they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. And they don't know who they are seeing. Some started shouting, it is a ghost. And they get terrified by that. And Jesus says, immediately, say to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And right now we begin to see Jesus coming out, telling them, it is me, Jesus, the Son of God, the one that is able to take away your storm. It is me, Jesus. I am who I am. It is me. Don't be afraid. And we notice, we note that Jesus could have said, I'll fix, I'll fix this. I'll take away the storm. I'll calm the storm. But he didn't. He told them to take courage, to have confidence in him. He could have said so many things, but he chose to say to them to take courage. And there are so many of us right now, like I said, who are in the middle of a storm. We are in circumstances that we just can't, we just can't seem to, to understand. Maybe you've just failed your entire exam at school, or you're going through a divorce right now, or your parents have just separated. And we hear Jesus saying, take courage, have confidence in me. You see, Jesus sees the big picture, and we often don't see that. 
it's easy to, for us to walk away from Jesus in times of our trial. And yet he's calling upon us and telling us to take courage. To stay with him. Because right on the other side, there is hope. And in verse 28, 28 Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. And basically Peter is saying, prove it. Prove it. If it's you, prove it. He's such a random guy who sometimes just says things that probably he doesn't think about. <laughs> These guys are scared. They think they've seen a ghost. They don't understand what's going on. They are trying to keep their boat in line. And then Peter just shouts at this random guy that is telling them that it's Jesus. He just says, if it's you, prove it. Prove it. Make me come and come to you. Make me come and walk on the water just as you're doing. And so Jesus looks at Peter, I believe, and this is speculation. I believe he looks at Peter and says, I see you've been managing the boat very well. You're not scared of being in the boat that is fighting against the waves. But now I want you to come in this completely unmanageable situation where you can't do anything about it. He calls him to himself and tells him, come right now. And Peter starts to take his first step. He takes his second step. And probably reality kicks in. Like, I'm actually walking on water. And he starts to see the waves crashing on him. He starts to see all these things. And doubt starts to come in. And Peter starts to sink. He starts to go down. You see, when we don't deal with doubt, doubt is like a child seeking attention. The more you pay attention to them, they want more attention and they want more attention. And doubt can also be the lifeline that cuts our faith from God. And yet, if we use our doubt in fear of our weakness and know we can't do anything and depend on God. We can see doubt can also benefit us. Because doubt puts, at, puts, puts us at a place where we are dependent on what God can achieve for us. And so we see Peter in uh, verse 29. God told him, come. Then Peter got down into the boat, walked on the water, came down, to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. The truth is, we all need help. And tonight, I can assure you that God wants you to look at him when you're defeated. He wants you to look at him when you're in your weakest point. He wants you to depend on him. And immediately, the scripture says, Jesus reached his hand and called Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? But guess what? Jesus saves Peter and takes him, takes him across to the boat. And he comes, the whole situation, everything begins to be back in control. And this is the payoff of this whole entire verse. This is the, remember I said, the whole reason for this whole thing was to show his disciples the identity. And now we see it at the end, the payoff. When he went back to the boat, all the other guys that were stayed on the boat, they started to worship, worship God. 
they started to say things like, truly you are the son of God. Now we understand it. Now we know you for you and for who you are. We know you are the Messiah. We know you are here to save us. We know you are here to take us through our pain. And so, there is another storm in the Bible. And last week, we celebrated Easter. But then we also have this Good Friday, the day that Jesus was killed. I want you to try and imagine what it was like for the disciples on the very first Good Friday. These guys had given up everything to follow Jesus. We all know some were fishermen. They gave, they gave that up. Some gave up families. Some gave up their social life. They invested everything they had to be with Jesus. Their entire reason of living was centered on Jesus. They were in. They were, they, they were hooked. They, they had no plan B. Their plan B was to stay with Jesus because he seemed to have all the answers to their questions. And then right in front of their eyes, Jesus was taken away from them to be crucified in one of the most painful and shameful ways. Their hope is gone. And maybe some disciples still hoped that God would perform a miracle and stop this death. Maybe some people in the crowd still hoped that God is going to intervene. But then we also see some people that were still skeptical of this Jesus. And they started insulting him with statements like, you believed in God, let him deliver you right now. As we see in Matthew 27, 43. And at that moment, suddenly, there seemed to be no presence of God in the dying of Jesus. And finally, Jesus takes his last breath and he dies. All the hope that these disciples had in Jesus just came crashing down. And this was a dark day. I bet it wasn't seen as a good Friday. This is a day that these guys lost their hope, lost their friend, lost their teacher. He's gone. They can't be with him anymore. What sort of thoughts do you think were running in the minds of the disciples at that time? Perhaps that Jesus was just like any other man like them. Or maybe God doesn't even exist. And if he did, he definitely had no interest in the fate of Jesus at the cross. But of course we all know how that story ends. The cross was not seen as a dead end, but as a crucial stage to salvation and to glorification. And now we can place the word good back on Friday, and it makes sense because we know the outcome of this whole story. But now I want you to imagine yourself standing with the disciples. Right now you're in the scene of the crucifixion. I want you to imagine yourself standing with the disciples, watching Jesus suffer and die without knowing that he's actually going to be raised from the dead. 
I want you to put aside every knowledge you have of what happens later. Do you still think that that death has any point to it? And what can be achieved throughout that death? It all seems to be very pointless. And all that is enough to put doubt in, a, in our heads about the existence of God. And if God exists, he was so indifferent to the suffering of Jesus. But you see, all that doubt was wiped away by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was put to rest. And, and we see that God wasn't absent in that time of trial in the disciples' life. He wasn't. He was busy in the background transforming this scene of hopelessness, transforming this scene of helplessness into a scene of joy, into a scene of hope. God wasn't absent. God was present, but in a hidden manner. And sometimes our experience suggests that he's not, but he's there. God has never left us. And my challenge to you tonight is very simple. If you feel that God is not present in your circumstances, then take a look at the first Good Friday, how God showed up. The Bible doesn't promise us that there won't be fire in Isaiah, but it promises us that when there is fire, God will walk with us. He will take us to the other side. And he's always waiting. His, his hands are always welcoming to, for us to come in. I know my brother would never come back, but God has given me hope that one day we are going to sit on the same table in heaven. That's the hope I have in Jesus. And you can take that hope too. You can take it tonight. It's all yours. At the cross, we see that God was busy in the background forgiving our sins and working out salvation for the sinful humanity. We see that. Tonight you can make a decision to either walk away from that or you can make a decision to refresh your hope if you've been losing it or if you didn't have that hope, you can make a decision to invite God and you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone at all. And so I'll end with uh, my famous writings about, from uh, Martin Luther King. He says, the ultimate measure of us is not where we stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where we stand at times of challenge. And where you can stand tonight is where you can focus on God. You can stand in the presence of God and focus on him and believe in him to be the captain of your boat and believe in him that he can take you. And so I'm going to invite uh, the band um, and uh, why don't we pray?
Um, Jesus, I want to thank you so much for leaving your throne and coming here on earth to die for us and paving a way for us to be with your Father. I want to thank you for you've given us an opportunity to put you in charge of our storms. I pray if there are people here tonight that are in struggles, that I pray that may your presence be felt right where they are. I pray that you comfort every person that is troubled in this place. And I pray that when each one of us goes back home, our faith is going to be increased, our faith in you, that we'll have a clear image of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.